Hello everyone and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about content rate optimization, how you can increase your conversions and I'm excited to discuss this topic with Justin. How are you? Hey, not too bad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for me it's a big pleasure uh, because I check out your profile. You have extended experience, so I'm so excited to learn more about that and I'd like to thank you our sponsor SEO Ranking, a top-related all-in-one SEO platform. I like SRNKI for their very accurate rank tracker tool, which shows your daily rankings for your website in five search engines. It's a lot. <laughs> for any location, device, or language, you can monitor Google Maps results in the 35 search features for every keyword. And much more. You can use SRNKIN's 40 days for free. Just use it and subscribe. Okay, Justin, before we start, just tell more about your Excel experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about CRO, about uh, conversion rate optimization. Yeah, so I've been doing digital marketing, I think this, I'm approaching year 22. So I've been doing it a very long time before the internet <laughs> is what we know it today, obviously, back kind of in the Wild West internet marketing days, but uh, moved up through the ranks, had my own uh, direct-to-consumer business uh, that I had sold after we grew it to... Um, about eight figures a year in revenue and then uh, started what's, you know, now conversion fanatics uh, about eight and a half years ago. And we actually just recently merged with a larger agency just about a month ago um, to basically spearhead their optimization department. Um, but yeah, we've been very fortunate to have worked with some of the biggest and best brands in the world. Many you've likely heard of, many you probably haven't and continue to do so every single day, helping them improve their marketing performance uh, and you know, creating better experiences for their visitors. Nice, nice. Uh, can you tell the main difference between cooperating with big companies, uh, clients, and uh, with small ones that uh, started their journey? They have no loyal audience and uh, have a goal, you know, to grow in one day. What is the main difference between them? Um, I mean, really, the difference it comes down to the message market match of the product. I would say is probably the biggest thing. So when you're young and you're just starting. You know, I just talked to a company here just a little bit ago, a, a woman that bought a company that was doing 10 to 20 sales a day out of Australia. And, you know, comparative to that, to say something like a Fortune 500 company that we get to work with, um, really the, the steps are kind of the same. It's just really just figuring out what really matters to your visitors and how can you execute and find that message market match? So once you find that and get that kind of proof of concept, then it's easy to really just wash, rinse and repeat and scale it. Um, and really where it's, it's just the methods that we use from an optimization perspective, um, you know, for we might take a more qualitative approach. So we might just use surveys and, and click maps and, and scroll maps versus you actually using A-B testing and and all of those other metrics to, to really drive out that performance. So it, when you're young, you're just going to start and ask questions. So just ask visitors, you know, what's holding you back from buying our product or what's, you know, what questions weren't we able to answer for you today? And then making your changes to your site based on that, instead of just trying to say, oh, I, I think it should be this, or I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I know a lot of people get caught in that trap where they, just make changes because they might see some ideas from, you know, another website or they might think something needs to convert better or they think it looks better or something. And then they get caught in that trap and they don't, they're not really basing it on any actual 
feasible data or or metrics or, or feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the strategy, by the way. Uh, I think uh, many companies that uh, just started their journey, they are looking for or chasing, you know, high volume keywords. Uh, and it's hard to convert, even if you get traffic. It's 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 really hard to rank these keywords, but it's yeah. more hard to convert with these keywords. For example, if I get SEO in the top 10 result, I'm not sure that I can sell uh, SEO services because it's more related with creating brand awareness for, for big companies, you know, like, I don't know, HRF, SEMrush, New Patel, many others. So I think it's better to find the right strategy. Can you tell uh, how to create the right strategy that considers buying journey and uh, our sales funnel unique selling proposition? Yeah, so I, I treat a website kind of like a brick and mortar business almost. And when I think of that customer journey and that flow, so your ad, your, your ranking, your whatever is going to get them into the parking lot. So think of it as like a shopping mall, you know, something's going to get them into the parking lot, a want, a need, they search, they found you, they, they've seen something. Now we have to engage them in that buying process. So what's going to capture their attention? What's going to get them clicking and shopping, you know, get them actually in the door. You know, that's your homepage, your collections pages in the e-commerce world, or it's your landing page that's giving away a free download in exchange for email. You know, it's something that's your foot in the door. And then what can we do to build that trust and help them find and make that buying decision? So it really just comes down to a handful of real elements. It's, it's, it's capturing their attention, um, stating the benefits that your product is actually going to do for them. Um, and then reversing the risk, you know, that can be something in a money back guarantee. It could be split payment options. It could be, you know, warranty information. It could be social proof that you're adding on to it. It could be bonuses, but we try to figure out what's going to, what pieces of those puzzle need to go in the right order that will help improve that journey uh, along the way. So, you know, it's, it's not as enough to, you know, have a, you know, high ranking website or, you know, really effective, you know, super high budget for a pay-per-click campaign, for example, mm-hmm. it's, you have to capture their attention. And in the days of, you know, Amazon and all of these other, you know, very quick and rapid solutions, you need to set yourself apart from that. So it's a lot of brand equity and it's creating that. Um, it's, I, I keep going back to the word experience because that's kind of what we are, but in our social environments, there's a lot of social aspects to that and people are more likely to spend money and more money if they deem the experience to be a positive one and they are more likely to tell their friends and family and and share it on social and do all of those things that we can't necessarily put down on a spreadsheet and give those specific examples so instead we try to look at the 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 bigger overall picture and the journey and where visitors are going where they're falling off in that process um, that's kind of how I approach it from, you know, this particular mm-hmm. that's, that's younger and newer and maybe starting to get some traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the question about common mistakes that you can see, uh, when websites, uh, webmasters uh, do, uh, optimizing landing pages. For example, I have a client and he spent, uh, $20,000 for pay-per-click campaigns and, and got sales a hundred dollars, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
Cyrilli hard to compare. And uh, I, I check out the landing page. Of course, it's not my strong side, but I found that uh, compared to other competitors, uh, he doesn't have uh, reviews. I mean, like he has some reviews from a trust pilot, but it doesn't look good. You know, uh, I don't know why, but I can have the feeling that something is wrong with the, this reviews. Yeah. Uh, can you tell about common mistakes that uh, website owners can do and uh, How, uh, I don't know, how to start checking that something is wrong with uh, landing pages? Um, well, really, you're going to want to get, again, going back to the qualitative feedback. So you're going to want to get heat maps on the site, um, first and foremost, just to see where they're clicking and where they're, what they're actually paying attention to and how far they're scrolling on the page and certain elements. But the big things that I look for and some of the common mistakes are probably the biggest one is the company talks too much about themselves. So it's, it's all about me instead of all about me as the consumer. So what I care about, what are the key benefits, not what are the key features? I see a lot of companies being like, I have X, Y, and Z as part of my product. And I particularly see more of this in software as a service, but they talk about how great their features are and how great they are as a company and all of this instead of what's, why should I care that I'm trying to buy this product or that I have this need or this want that I want somebody to solve that I'm in search of. Um, so I really tie it back to a lot of benefit statements and then support the benefits with the features. And I've said this for many, many years is so many companies are shouting how great they are instead of trying to solve that problem, you know, through their marketing messages. Um, so that's the number one. I've seen a lot of products sell without, without social proof without that, those testimonials and those reviews, they help and they're an amplifier, but some audiences don't shop that way um, and for particularly different products. So it's all about taking that risk off their plate, either with, you know, money back guarantee or warranty or, you know, expectations of, you know, speed of implementation or, or whatever um, you can do to kind of set your differentiator. Um, and then it all really comes down to is, if you have a simple landing page and if I could do this all day, every day I would, and that was just test headlines, um, mm -hmm. simple and trivial, but I'm an old school copywriter from, from way back. So if I test enough headlines, the law of averages is going to see, I'm going to see a 20 to 30% bump in my conversion rate, but it's mm -hmm. how you approach the optimization or how you approach those headlines. It's you can use it in like 16 words or less essentially to, figure out what benefit of the product or what hot button. You can test a bunch of different hot buttons very quickly to figure out what the visitors, you know, really truly care about when they're searching out those answers. Once you find that, then you can kind of expand that through the rest of your marketing message and really just exploit it for lack of better terms, you know, throughout the entire customer journey. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned about uh, old school copywriting. Uh, I love it, by the way. I think, you know, uh, many things are coming to old school uh, because of human psychology. Uh, many years, uh, marketers pay a lot of attention to optimize for search engines. But today it's not all search engines and platforms. They serve humans. And uh, yeah, they, I think if you can write text for a human, optimize for a human, then search engines and any platform can understand much better about that, yeah. this content. Can you tell about your uh, 
best practices of writing headlines. Uh, it's short, you know, like 60 symbols, uh, around that, I don't know, 50 symbols, 70 symbols, it depends, but it's short. Uh, and I know it's hard to write <laughs> these uh, headlines. You know, when I write them, I usually want to add everything, you know, about my products, my features, to share my story, uh, but I can't. Uh, can you tell about best practices, how to optimize headline and to catch attention of uh, potential customers? So what I usually do, particularly in a headline formula, I mean, there's a ton of different solutions out there that, you know, headline generators and things, but it's, it's always like what if or discover or something like that. And then I lead it into, and I try to keep it 16 words or less, but I really just make a list of all of the key features that I have, all of the key problems that the, the, the things solve, um, you know, and then using different angles in there like easy simple you know those kinds of language and and elements in there um for example we have a, a service company that we have done optimization for for a couple of years now where we figured out that the anytime we use the words easy and simple and we paint that picture of easy and simple and we take the guesswork out of it that's when the visitors True, they truly respond to that. So we're using that to basically revamp and re-overhaul the entire um, basis of their marketing. And everything we're doing is leading up to simple and easy and, you know, pulling that, that difficulty out of it in, you know, just a few simple clicks and, you know, the time-tested things like it's the three-minute formula or, you know, seven-minute abs, you know, it's all of that, you know, kind of element that you pull in there. But I try to keep it short. Um, I try not to use a lot of, fake scarcity or urgency. I like to keep it simple and look for the long term versus trying to, you know, get that quick win in there because I can boost your conversion rate. It's just you're not going to like me because it's using tricks, gimmicks and tactics. Um, you're not mm -hmm. going to like me in six months when your offer is burned out. But um, we try to look for the long term. But in terms of the formula, I keep it really, really simple. I keep it. Mm -hmm. I don't like reinventing the wheel. Um, there's one thing, and I'm not a master storyteller in terms of the copywriting anymore. I used to be, you know, really, really good at it. Um, but it's become more about, to me, headlines, calls to action, benefit bullet statements, risk reversal kind of elements instead of really, really long form. So, um, and one element we're seeing right now in terms of writing and style, particularly in lead generation is the smaller, the simpler, the less info on the page, the higher the conversion rate. So kind of almost mm -hmm. like a blind offer. Um, we're seeing that kind of come back into a trend now where it kind of went away for more long-term stuff or long-form stuff uh, for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable. Love it, love it. Uh, by the way, uh, I don't know uh, about... Uh the main point of writing like catch headlines because you know i always get this trap on youtube when i open youtube i can see some con content that i'm not interested right now but when i read these headlines i open i uh, this content can steal my time but i'm not their customer <laughs> i don't know no. uh, it, it, it works it works uh, i agree with that because they can take attention but I'm not sure it's a good idea, for example, for paid marketing. When you uh, get attention from uh, not customers, uh, you can take them, but they don't buy. But 
who knows maybe i can buy it depends mm-hmm. uh, can you tell about uh writing uh actually on uh, landing pages for example if i open apple i can see short uh sentences even quotes like make difference you know no, not for long but uh otherwise i can see many uh, landing pages with a lot of text how to find this balance between short and long form uh in landing pages if you we want to convert so one it comes down to testing so just test one versus the other usually taking mm-hmm. a big swing um and really what i say is something i learned many many years ago when i was studying copywriting you know full time mm-hmm. essentially is your copy should be as long as it needs to be to get the job done and the only way to get that and get there is through testing so you need to figure out just what the visitors care about i would start with short and then if that converts then i would test a full longer one and then i would test a hybrid so some of the elements that i'll take is video versus no video long copy versus short copy um blind calls to action meaning just click the button then the form pops up or the the action box pops up um with or without social proof with or without pre-headlines um and then i i test those different angles in terms of the flow and then you can refine it incrementally from there meaning then you can test the button colors and the labels and the you know the imagery and the headers versus no headers and there's the list goes on and on but i i just try to take those big swings when i'm approaching it particularly from a simple landing page perspective or an opt-in perspective uh in lead generation that's kind of how i approach it from when i'm trying to optimize or dial in that offer Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell about uh, op- uh, creating landing pages for uh, non-recognizable brands? For example, uh, I don't know. Let's imagine I want to sell T-shirts uh, and I need to compete with Nike, Adidas, uh, uh, any other brands. But uh, my brand is not recognizable. Nobody knows about this brand. Uh, but uh, I have high quality products. Uh, I'm going to sell them. Uh, and uh, I know that people can ignore such brands because they don't know uh, they can trust or not uh, about the quality. Can you tell how optimize pages, landing pages for non-recognizable brands? Uh, not recognizable brands, find your differentiator. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, we work with a lot of companies that don't necessarily have a big name. They're not going to compete with companies like Nike or you know, Adidas yeah. on athletic clothes or, you know, Lululemon and those, those other ones that are big in the market. So you have to find your differentiator. So do you use different fabric? Do you use different, you know, what's that, that going to solve? Um, are they better fitting? You know, you can take things like untuck it, you know, those kinds of shirts, what, you know, they took a simple dress shirt and made it very simple and uh, added a differentiator in there. Um, so nothing's, nobody's really reinventing the wheel in a lot of cases in apparel. So you have to lead with your differentiator and your new, unique selling proposition and why they should really care. And then again, just take that risk off their plate um, with, you know, that you stand behind your product hundred percent, you know, you have longer money back guarantee than somebody is typically used to. Um, you have all the payment options, you have all of those elements, you have those frequently asked questions, you set the expectation for when they're actually going to receive the product and when what's being shipped, um, those kinds of things. 
um, will help set yourself apart. So you just have to lean in heavily onto your unique selling proposition until you have some brand equity that's going to help carry it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm interested about uh, time value or lifetime value. Uh, I mean, like, for example, if uh, cost per click is high, like, I don't know, $10 or $50 sometimes in many niches. And uh, uh, many brands uh, can get these clicks because uh, of selling uh, one customer more than one time, many times for a long time. And customers can recommend uh, their products to their friends, you know, to invite more customers. Uh, and uh, you can't uh, get back uh, all your money uh, after one sales, but you can get it after uh, selling like six months or an year. Can you tell how to measure this lifetime of cost per click that uh, we can uh, get back our uh, investment? Well, lifetime value is one of the hardest metrics to, to actually calculate and figure out. Um, because you have so many different variables. So what I typically will recommend is looking at a period of time, either a quarterly basis or a six month or even an annual basis. I'm not looking more so on an annual basis, but I'm looking for trends in that overall data. I'm looking for more internal average order values. Um, I'm looking at some of my repeat customer rate. If we're talking like e-commerce, you know, Shopify gives you for example, gives you that, that metric. Um, and then you can look for overall trends in that. Um, but it comes down to email, building that overall experience for the visitors. Because we know if you create a better experience, they're going to buy from you. Um, they're going to likely tell their friends. Um, so attribution is literally the, the billion dollar question. I don't even say the million dollar question. It's the billion dollar question just because I've worked with companies that have full data science teams and they still can't figure out attribution in a lot of ways. Um, and particularly now that the landscape's changing in paid media, um, you know, Facebook's become meta and then, you know, Apple's not playing nice with all of their different platforms and all of the other companies are kind of being bullies to each other. Um, so it's making it harder for marketers to get some attribution and, and particularly in an om omni-channel environment. So we're trying to um, measure what we can measure and, and try to improve there. But lifetime value is, is, is pretty difficult because you have to kind of pull into some specific algorithms. And I know there are solutions out there to help you calculate that. Um, but for us, from an optimization standpoint, I'm not looking necessarily on the lifetime value. I'm looking at more so from an initial average order value. I'm looking at from like a one month value, a two month, three month, six month, even one year value. Uh, that'll give us a better because if I can, I can be profitable then and there, then lifetime value should, you know, work itself out. Um, and it just really depends also too on what type of product you have and how many products you have and, and those aspects. But if you have something like us where we have very few products, you know, in terms of service, um, it's a little easier to calculate that lifetime value versus if you're selling a bunch of $30 t-shirts, it, it makes it harder to, you know, calculate specifically what that lifetime value is when you're only seeing the initial average order value in your platforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let's talk about uh, overselling. Uh, for example, uh, I often open landing pages and see uh, push messages, uh, buy, convert, uh, uh, open free account. You know, yeah, it's hard to consume content because of a lot of these messages. If I scroll down, I can see more of these messages. 
can you tell it's a good idea or not if uh, we get such uh, distortion messages, buttons, uh, uh, notice, uh, or uh, how to find the balance between call to action and actually content? So I go to simpler first. Mm-hmm. So if there's a pop-up, you know, you're seeing like so-and-so just bought this. So-and-so just bought this. It pops up every 15 seconds. My number one test, if I see that, is to hide it. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to hide it because I do not like any additional movement on pages. That's how I shop and it annoys me. I, I'm, I'm a marketer, so I know what's behind it. I don't, I don't, I, I see right through it. So all of those additional pop-ups and all of those elements, I like things to be user initiated. So same thing with swipes and scrolls and everything else. I want it user initiated. So I try to find out on that page using heat maps, click maps, et cetera, where the visitors are at on that page, what they're actually clicking on, where, how far they're scrolling on the page. And then I might see where the main drop-off points are. And then I might inject a call to action there, a subtle one or a small banner or something instead of being just like a huge pop-up, like buy, 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 go, go, go. Um, same thing with like sales and promotions and, and elements. I'm, I'm not one to jump to discounting for the sake of trying to boost conversion rates. So I, I don't like to use that fake scarcity, fake urgency, kind of everything's on sale always. I like to let the product stand on its own and try to find the right pricing match that'll allow it to be evergreen. And then when I do run a promotion or you do run a sale, then it's gonna be more effective because you're, everything's not on sale all the time. Um, and it allows, and it's very hard to pull up from that once you start going down into that, that rabbit hole of, of discounting for the sake of conversion rate. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, let's talk about creativity. You mentioned a few times about simplicity, but uh, I see on your background the heart. You know, uh, it's the first time when I see the heart like this. I see Einstein. You know, uh, on your background, can you tell about creativity? How to find the right balance between uh, creativity? Uh, because you know, uh, when I ask designers to draw some unique creative design, they can, uh, you know get out from some limits, standards, uh, and customers can annoy to see something like this. It's not related to the products. Uh, your uh, best practices of uh, to be creative uh, to create legit pages. So it goes back to keeping it simple again, but I have UX designers <laughs> that do it. And I, I go from more so a UX designer than I do mm-hmm. a graphic designer because it's easy to design something that looks cool but it's harder to design something that's functional that also looks cool that actually works. Um, So we have to design within brand. And again, how I approach it is a lot different than some because I want to test everything. I want to split test it. I want to get that direct quantitative feedback from the visitors. I want to figure out, does that design actually work? And I don't want to go for big design changes overall first. I want to test incrementally to figure out what holds weight in the eyes of those visitors and what really matters to them. And once I figure that out, then I can use that to kind of explore being creative and, and expanding on it and making bigger overall changes versus, um, you know, just trying to throw something up that I think looks cool or the designer designs because it it looks cool. So I take a very Mm -hmm. functional approach to it. Um, And I see this all the time is where companies take that heavy design approach 
and they think, oh, I just need a new website design or I just need a new landing page and it's going to solve all their problems. Um, I just encountered this with a company the other day. We were trying to take the incremental approach with them. Um, and the CEO was like, no, I want big and bold and I want these massive changes. I was like, do you want results or do you want big and bold? Like they don't, you know, you can spend weeks designing a fantastic design and chances are it's going to convert worse than where you were. Uh, I see that with website designs often um, where they mm -hmm. come to me later and want me to fix it because their conversion rates are in the tank because they just spent a whole bunch of money redesigning a landing page or mm -hmm. spent redesigning their entire site and it doesn't convert as well because you have some familiarity there with, with your typical audience. So um, we definitely want to take more of the data-driven approach to that um, in design. And I, I do this, you know, really just approaching it from a user experience perspective instead of a graphic design um, promotional kind of angle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable, valuable. Uh, uh, Seth Godin uh, told once that content marketing is one marketing left. You know, uh, interesting quote. I love it. Uh, and once um, I got, uh, you know, like re, uh, uh, the question from my client about uh, creating pre-landing pages, not landing pages, but pre-landing pages that can uh, cover buying journey. And uh, the goal is not to sell these pages. Uh, the goal is to lead them to landing pages. Can you tell about uh, the experience of uh, creating such landing pages do you have experience with that and uh, uh, what type of content to create for uh, such pages so when you say that i'm thinking more advertorial um mm -hmm. top of funnel like very just awareness driven yeah. stuff the same thing you can be said with using video um you know some of those very clever videos that are out there those funny kind of engaging super high high quality high produced type of marketing videos that you see these days um, but I think advertorial, so it's the five things you need to know. It's usually something simple like that. Five things, the seven things, the, the questions you need to answer before you think about this, um, or, you know, just kind of that kind of engaging content to bring that awareness to then start building and nurturing that audience, you know, either to capture email or to get them to click through on a landing page. So then you can segment it out via your ads. But I, again, I like to keep it simple. I like to do, you know, the simple questions, like the five things you need to know, the seven things you need to know, the three simple steps. Um, here's a story about this person. And I leave it kind of a cliffhanger um, angle um, with a little bit of content. Um, you know, the one weird ingredient that you need to know kind of in the weight loss world or the fitness world um, that, that really drives it out. But it, again, it comes down to simplicity there too, but it has to be engaging. It has to be it has to leave them questioning and wanting more. Um, so that's, you know, that's where the open loops kind of happen from, from copywriting. And, and really most of those advertorials are very copy driven, um, are very, you know, copy centric. And I see those working well in a lot of specific offers, not necessarily in companies that are using massive amounts of product, meaning they have a whole big product line. But if you have like a few SKUs and are very simple, that I would keep it uh, down. Mm -hmm. but any good copywriter can usually drive out some of those kind of engaging open loop um, scenarios, same way as I treat a landing page, same way as I treat, you know, a product page or even a homepage on a e-commerce store. Um, I just try to figure out, you know, what questions they have and then have it engaging enough 
but most of the time those advertorials or top of funnel situations are, are going to be simple too, just like an opt-in. Um, very few questions. You want it to be easily consumed, particularly on a mobile device. You want it, you know, to flow really well. And then you want that, that clear call to action. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and leave it, leave it to actually click on it, not just a banner or an advertisement on that page. It's like, here are the three, here are the three ingredients. And you talk about two and it's like for the third here, continue on and watch this video. Um, and get them to click through and then get that micro commitment is what we call it. Um, and which is, is vitally important even in e-commerce it's, it's clicks on that, that homepage hero, it's add to cart. It's, you know, those abandoned checkout rates, it's those micro commitments and things that you want them to take little steps. Um, a good example of this is quizzes, which a lot of companies use, um, to, to educate. It's asking simple questions and get them engaged in that process. Like how, how old are you? Are you a male or a female? Um, you know, what are these three multiple choice things? So you get them engaged and it progressively gets harder. And then the solution is you ultimately get their email or they ultimately buy a product. Um, so it's taking that approach to it. Nice. Nice. Interesting. Uh, I have the question about, uh, learning. Okay, for example, let's imagine, uh, you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do to learn more about conversion rate optimization uh, yeah, in order to increase sales for your products? Um, conversion rate optimization, I would go in and just study old school marketing books. Um, mm -hmm. If I had nothing, I mean, obviously I've been doing this for a very long time, um, but I cut my teeth on affiliate marketing. I did copywriting as a service. I was just a student of marketing, but then I figured out the psychology of marketing is I could change one little element and I can boost my results. So it got me down the rabbit hole of psychology, studying people like Jay Abraham, um, you know, old school techniques and, and, and tactics. Um, Dan Kennedy, kind of those copywriting, original old school direct response, facts on demand, direct mail kind of people is where I, I, I really got my, my start. And then obviously I wrote a book on optimization just from the, the decade or so that I, you know, had of doing it for myself and for other people. Um, so I wrote the book really just to educate people on the importance of optimization because conversion rate optimization is really less about conversion rate than it is overall experience for the visitors. And I keep saying experience in here, like it's like a broken record, but um, you know, the benefits of that are, you can see, you know, we've seen customer support complaints go down because we've been able to answer a question on a product page, or, you know, you can see cost per acquisition go down, the lifetime value, all of those secondary metrics. And it becomes less and less about, okay, I changed the button color and it raised or lowered the conversion rate. It's more so the journey and the destination of growth and scale versus that quick win tactic that's going to, you know, kind of artificially inflate your conversion rate. So where I approach it is really when I'm first starting out is that qualitative, which I talked about earlier, asking those questions, using those surveys, um, clicks, click maps, heat maps, and really just trying to understand what your visitors truly care about. Um, and you can study other companies in your market um, that sell to similar demographics. They don't have to sell the same type of product, but they have to sell to a very similar demographic because there's only so many ways you can slice and dice a demographic. 
men are going to shop different than female, different age brackets and groups are going to shop different or respond to different elements. And you want to appeal to them in a certain way. So I use optimization like that. Um, it's to create, again, that better overall experience and just try to figure out what these visitors really truly care about. And then marketing becomes easy at that point um, because nice. you understand their wants, needs, likes, dislikes. We saw this during COVID. We saw this you know, recently with the supply chain issues and some other things where, you know, and even with inflation where it is at the time of recording this. So we saw companies that were on, had their finger on the pulse of what their visitors truly cared about come through COVID and the, and all of the shutdowns and all of that very well. And we saw companies that didn't and just kind of tried to muscle their way through it instead of being smart about it you know, from an optimization perspective, we saw people lose 90% of their revenue and we saw businesses mm -hmm. go out of business. Um, but those that leaned into it and knew their customers and knew it can evolve very quickly. And that, that to me is optimization. Um, so it's, it's, it's really just understanding that and it helps you evolve and constantly understand and know it in particularly in different cycles and different times of year on how your visitors are going to respond. And the better you can do that, um, and it's and take that data driven approach instead of assume, assuming um the better off you're going to be nice nice uh, i have the question about uh, what to do first for example we know about um uh, this question uh, chicken or uh, an egg uh, nobody knows yeah we can assume uh, for example in marketing perspective i often see different opinions about uh writing text or design now, for example, uh, I think it's better to write text uh, before design, but I know many great marketers who uh, think differently. That's okay. You know, they uh, usually uh, draw design and then submit text. Uh, what about uh, uh, conversions? Uh, I mean, like how to uh, consider conversion rate optimization? Uh, for example, we need to create uh, design and content and then submit, uh, uh, I mean, like buttons, uh, call to action, or it's better to create this call to action and uh, surround with the content around that. What do you think about it? Um, I usually lead with the content first mm -hmm. and then we'll design around it. So again, going back to old school copywriting is your text is ultimately is what's gonna sell. The images, the experience and everything is gonna support that. Um, but what leads you down that path is going to be the copy is going to be the content is going to be the, the meat of the actual element. And this can be done in different ways. You could use imagery supported with some text. You can use video, you can do some of those things, but that content has to lead that visitor down the, that path of least resistance or where you want them to go. But I think you need to have that text first. You need to have that, those key benefits. You need to have those features supported, you know, supporting the benefits and you need to really just have all of your unique selling propositions and angles and, and, and elements in place before you can design it. I mean, a good design without any copy is kind of pointless. I mean, you really can't have anything from there. 
Yeah, got it, got it. Okay, I have the final question about the future. Uh, can you forecast the future of content and rate optimization? For example, uh, the reason why I'm asking about that, uh, because many things are coming. I don't know, like uh, metaverse, many others. And I have a huge audience of students who don't know where to jump, what to do, what to learn. And uh, from your experience, what do you think, what kind of future will be and how to uh, prepare uh, skills yourself uh, to this future? Well, marketing hasn't changed since I've been doing it for 20 years, you know, 20, almost 22 years. The mediums change. So marketing psychology, I think, is, all gonna, is, is always going to be there. I mean, it's at the end of the day, and I've said this since the beginning of my career, is we're dealing with people at the end of the day in some capacity. So they have wants, likes, dislikes, needs. And then you just plug in those mediums. It's how you reach them. It's how you engage with them. That's the only thing that's really changed. So where I think it's going probably from an optimization perspective is a little bit more machine learning. I don't think it's going to be on full on AI yet. Um, they still have a long ways to go for that computer element, but I think it needs to be um, supported of humans. So it needs to have that human element. And that's why conversion rate is what it is. We use a very data-driven approach to take, to basically prove or disprove whether we're right or not, um, as well as some personalization. So a lot of personalized experience and shopping experiences is becoming more and more prominent. So we're, we're using those individual buckets um, to really, you know, if they're interested in swimsuits, we're not going to show them sweatshirts, you know, that kind of um, if they're a man or a woman and they come in and they're engaging, we're not going to show them, you know, women's clothing to men and, and vice versa, unless that's what, you know, they're engaging in in those different aspects. So um, I think that's really where it's going. But the human element of it, as long as you're doing it the right way, I think is going to be, um, you know, always there. But I think some more of that, that, that machine learning aspect to help that customer journey along is um, kind of where we're going next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Justin, a big pleasure. Thank you for all your valuable insights. Tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Uh, yeah, you can find out more information about us just at conversionfanatics.com um, as well as our uh, sister slash parent company, uh, fusion92.com. And uh, happy to help out in any way that we can. Okay, guys, you can find these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again, Justin, for your time. A big pleasure. Welcome back anytime, you know, to share more value. Uh, you mentioned a few times about simplicity and our sponsor. Thanks for the sponsor. Uh, that makes software made simple, you know. Yeah, it's related with your message. And thanks, guys, for listening and watching us.